Now remember in verses 1 through 10 last week we saw seven things that are better than another that Solomon gave us. Now we're going to go in verses 11 through 20 and see the superiority of wisdom. The superiority of wisdom. So let's look here in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in, that day, but in the day of adversity, consider God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over much, be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish, why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So here's four ways in which I want us to see wisdom is superior the first, in verses 11 and 12, we'll see the position of wisdom. And then in verses 13 through 14, we'll notice the perfection of God's wisdom. So we have the position of wisdom, the perfection of God's wisdom. Then thirdly, we'll see the pretense of wisdom. And that'll be in verses 16 through the beginning of 18. And then the rest of 18 through 20, we'll see proper wisdom. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, as we examine this passage and understand the superiority of wisdom, Lord, may we seek after wisdom, but not the wisdom that the world teaches, but your wisdom, true wisdom. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them to see the sun. Now, an inheritance is good. Proverbs, 11, Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You know, we hear a lot today, I hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, when we retire, we're going to spend it all and leave the kids nothing. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying retirement, okay? But to say that we're absolutely not going to have an inheritance, God says inheritance is a good thing to be able to leave for your children. Proverbs 19, 14 House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. So what do you leave? Well, house and riches, right? You leave things behind. And it's not necessarily bad to leave some kind of inheritance for your children, okay? It's not evil, although some that have a huge inheritance end up becoming lazy and other things. I mean, there can be problems, but it's the sin nature that's the problem. It's not necessarily the inheritance is the problem. Really what's important is wisdom on the proper use of an inheritance is good. Look at verse 11 again. <clears throat> wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there, profit, there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is the defense, and money is defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them to have it. So what is he saying? Well, there's a benefit 
to having an inheritance if you're a wise person and know how to use the inheritance. Unlike the prodigal son who went to his father and said, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for it. Give it to me now. And what did he do as soon as he got the inheritance? He went out and wasted it on riotous living. And when he finally got to the bottom of the barrel and is literally eaten in a hog trough, he finally says, hmm, the servants of dad have it better than I have it. So I think I'll go back and I'll ask dad to make me one of his servants. Now understand something. Yes, his dad killed the fatted calf. Yes, his dad cleaned him up and, 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 and took care of him. But understand, he already wasted his inheritance. When his dad passed, his brother got everything that was left. There was nothing for him. He wasted it. So the point being is, okay, an inheritance in and of itself is not bad. But those that squander it or become pride, prideful of it or become lazy because of it, that is wrong. You need to have wisdom in how to use it, right? So then he says, wisdom is better in verse 12, for wisdom is defense and money is a defense. Defense has an idea of a shadow or a shade. They offer protection, right? When it's hot out, what do you want? You want some kind of shade. When my wife and I were over in Guam, everybody either had an umbrella or had some kind of face mask on, even in the blazing sun, because the, it was hot and it burnt you, you know? And it's funny watching the road crews having looking like, you know, almost like ski masks, not really, but kind of looked like they had ski masks on. It's like, okay, everybody's going to rob us here, you know? But anyhow, the idea being it, it offered protection. Well, wisdom and money are protection or, or shade. Now, money is not evil in and of itself. So many people misquote the Bible and say, money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's not the money, and money does offer, I mean, if you were able to leave an inheritance for your children, that does offer them a little bit of protection, right? It offers them a little bit of financial freedom, to be, you know, whatever, okay? Isaiah 30 verse 2 that walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. You know, the problem is, is too many are trusting in the shadow of Egypt, which pictures the world, and too many are trusting in the shadow of the world and not trusting in the shadow of the Almighty. So wisdom is a defense. It's a shadow or a covering. Money is defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them to have it. Now, what's money give to you when you have it? Well, not a whole lot. I mean, it does buy things, right? You can buy food, you can buy things, but things wear out. I mean, that's about all it does. But wisdom, it says, gives life. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. How does wisdom give life? Well, one who lives with true wisdom following the principles of God's word will typically live longer than one who lives in the foolishness of the world and living in sin and wickedness. Is that not a, a general statement that is generally true? Yes. You take two men, 50 years old, and you take one who lived a hard, wicked life, smoking and drinking and, and living for self his whole life, and you take a 50-year-old man who lived a godly life, who tried, tried his whole life to serve God and was following God's principles, lived a, a life separated from sin, and you stand the two next to each other, and many times you can actually see a physical difference between the two. 
Although my doctors always think I'm older than I am, so I don't know what that says about the life I'm living. But anyhow, typically you can see a difference between the two. The man who lived a life pleasing to God, following true wisdom, usually looks younger than the guy who's lived a life of sin. Is that not typically true? Why? Because sin wears your body out even. So is wisdom then not better? Is it not more excellent in that it provides life? Proverbs 3.18 says, referring to wisdom, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold on her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, According to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So the position of wisdom, it is better, it is more excellent. And so now let's move on to the perfection of God's wisdom. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. God's way is always perfect. God's plan will be accomplished. You know, we can go through the book of Job and we can see how God's plan for Job was accomplished. We can look through many other passages of Scripture, and we can see God's plan being accomplished. Many times, as it didn't to Job, did it make sense to Job why he lost everything? Did it make sense to Job why he's lying there suffering day in and day out? Did it make sense to Job why his friends and his wife are like, just curse God and God, die, you know, and just accusing him of everything? Did it make sense to Job when it was happening? No. And many times, as we're going through life, we're like, Lord, where are you? This doesn't make sense. But remember, his plan is perfect and his plan is right. So we can be thankful that God is still in control. We can rejoice with what he's given us. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other. You know, if every day were a good day, we wouldn't enjoy the good days anymore, right? Think of that. Sometimes you got to have a rainy day to enjoy the sun, sunshine. I remember when I was in 14 weeks in uh, San Diego, California. You know, after I forget how many weeks without it raining, I actually missed the rain. And it actually rained one day while we were out there. And I was so thankful just to see rain. But we need to be thankful during the trials because God is using that to draw us closer to himself. Verse 15 all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that or prolongeth his days in his wickedness. Now, as we've seen in other passages, don't question why it appears as though the wicked seem to prosper, because remember, God is a holy, just God, and there will be a day of reckoning. It may not be on our timetable, but there will be a day of reckoning. The Bible tells us every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it may appear as though they're prospering today, but remember for the wicked without Christ, this is the best it ever gets. And then moving on to the pretense of wisdom. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why should thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither... Be thou foolish, why shouldst thou die before thy time? So don't live 
I believe, two things he's teaching here. One is don't live a self-righteous life like the Pharisees. The Pharisees couldn't see their own sinfulness because they were too busy looking at everybody else's sinfulness. And they thought that they had it made. They thought that they had a corner with God. God loved them because, after all, they're a Pharisee. Is that not how they acted? I mean, to come to Jesus and, and disciples and say, does your master not know what kind of people he's eating with? Those are publicans and sinners. Does he not know who they are? Of course he knew who they are. And you know what I find today, unfortunately, in some churches, is we have developed that same attitude that, let's say John had a co-worker, and we all know that this co-worker was a, a wicked, vile person, but John is trying to reach this person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he goes over to that individual's house for dinner, for an opportunity to share the gospel. I know some in some churches that would look at John and say, ooh, don't you know? You know what, you, if you have that kind of attitude, and I praise God, as far as I know, it's not here. And if it is, get it right with God. But if you have that kind of attitude, you are a Pharisee, period. Because what we should be saying is, praise God, John is willing to take the time and opportunity to share the gospel with his lost co-workers. Just because he's going over to their house for dinner doesn't mean he's participating in their filth and wickedness, right? You do realize in order to share the gospel with sinners, we have to be around sinners. I know that's, that was pretty deep theology right there. Don't look, out, don't, don't look down on others because they are not as spiritual as you are. You know, every person is in their own place in their spiritual growth. Now, yes, we are to encourage brothers and sisters in their spiritual growth, yes, but we're not to look down on them because they're not growing at the rate we think they should be growing. But rather, we should be an encouragement to them, and we should realize it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and help them grow. Now, I can teach them, but I can't change an individual's heart. But conversely, in verse 17, be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish, why shouldst thou die in thy time? So, just as we should not live a self-righteous life, don't live a foolish life. We live in a world that thinks that they are smart. We have a world of, there is no true wisdom apart from God. Is that not what Proverbs teaches us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then may I say, since we have taken God out of our institutions of higher learning, then we have a bunch of educated idiots. Now, the word idiot has the idea of his own, does his own thing. Okay? So what I mean by that is we have a, pe a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge in their head, but zero wisdom to go with it. They have facts in their head but they don't know how to truly apply the facts that they have. And now these are the same people that want to take their humanistic way of thinking. They're, you know, everybody's good and everybody uh, needs to just make themselves feel good. And now they want to call themselves psychiatrists and psychologists and everything else and tell you how you're supposed to think and live. And what really disturbs me is knowing some Christians will go to psychologists and psychiatrists for help instead of going to the Bible to the one who has the answers. Let me tell you something. Humanistic psychology is nothing but psychobabble. It's just garbage. It's filth. Some of the wicked things I've heard come from them, not personally, but have heard accounts of it. For instance, 
and I don't remember where I heard this. Long ago and far away, I heard a story. No. A pastor had been uh, at counseling a couple after they had gone to secular counseling, and one of them had had an affair, and the, and the counselor's advice was to the other spouse, well, you go have an affair, and then you'll both be even, and you'll both feel better. That is wicked advice. But you know what the problem is? A lot of people take their advice because after so, as Dr. So-and-so said so. I'll tell you what, it's not what my Bible teaches. Matter of fact, I have counseled couples where there have been affairs in the, in the relationship. And let me tell you what I tell them. To help restore this relationship, there has to be forgiveness. And you know, I had one man sit in my office one time and tell me his wife had cheated on him. And she came to him. She, she was repentant of it. And I kept counseling with him. And I kept telling him, you're going to have to forgive your wife. He goes, I can't. And I would show him why, how, why he needs to forgive his wife and how to forgive his wife and how Christ has forgiven him. He says, I can't. I said, can't or won't. And we kept going and we kept working with him. He goes, why are you all over me? Why aren't you getting on her? I said, she repented. I said, and we're dealing with some of the issues with her. I said, but your problem is, is you're not willing to forgive. And until you are, your relationship is done. He says, well, that's just not right. I don't see why I should have to be punished for what she did. So let me ask you a question. And I knew the answer to this. And nobody knows who this is, so I can talk about this. I said, have you ever looked at pornography? He said, yes, I have. I said, you are just as guilty as she is. He goes, she committed the act I didn't. I said, that's not what Jesus said. And I said, she's been willing to forgive you. Why can't you forgive her? He said, I won't. I said, we're done. I said, there's nothing else I can do to help you then. And you know what the sad thing is? To the best of my knowledge, to this day, he has still refused to forgive her, and they are separated, if not divorced now, and it's because of an unforgiving heart. Folks, you and I need to be quick to forgive. Now, he said, now I've had others that I've counseled, and by the way, this happens way too much. I am, I'm, my wife and I are sick and tired of dealing with Christians who've had affairs, but let me tell you something. Even after the forgiveness, forgiveness and trust are two different things. Even after the forgiveness, it's a long road to get back to trust. And that's only natural. The forgiveness should come. That should be quick. But the trust, there is no quick way to get back to it. Period. Once trust is broken, if it could ever be brought back, which I believe it can, it takes a long time. We need to live with God's wisdom. Some think they're wise in their foolishness. That was not part of my notes. I guess just what the Holy Spirit had for you to hear tonight. Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And let me tell you something. There's a lot who profess the name of Christ who are living very foolishly. But a fool's ways lead to an early death. So you and I need to learn true wisdom. Which brings us then to the last point, proper wisdom. Let's look at the verse 18 again. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of it, hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom, again, starts with the fear of God. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
Now, we've talked much about the fear of God, but I don't think we can, sometimes I believe we, ha, we don't talk enough about the fear of God, having a proper respect for who God is and awe for the position that, and, and, and the person. And the, when we think of Almighty God, the great I am, we, when we have a proper fear of God, will begin to understand true wisdom. Why? Because we'll stop looking at it through the eyes of humanism. We'll stop looking at this world from under the sun. Remember in this whole book, uh, Solomon is laying out for us what the world looks like without God. And so when we apply true wisdom, we take off the, the glasses, if you will, that, say, that see the world without God, and we put look at view everything through the Bible, through the fact that there is a God, that God has spoken, he's given us his word, and he's shown us how we are to live. And when we start to view the world that way, that is when we start to have wisdom. Because we're not going to look at the temporal anymore. We're going to realize there's more to life than self. There's more to life than fun. There's more to life than all the things that the world teaches us are life. And we're going to realize that there's an eternity, that there's a real heaven, a real hell, and every person who walks the face of this planet are going to one or the other. And I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he has given me the commission to share that love with this lost and dying world. When I look at the world supposedly prospering and supposedly doing well, I'm going to realize how sad if they never receive Christ. I'm not going to be jealous of them. I'm going to think how sad. The things of this world will start to lose their attraction. And I will be attracted to the things that really matter, the eternal. So we need to learn the proper fear of God because we are accountable to him. Verse 19, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. Wisdom is greater than physical strength. Now, some might say, hallelujah. Okay, now, there's nothing wrong with physical strength. That's not what the Bible's saying. But what it's saying is wisdom is even better. Than the better, better than ten strong men. We live in a world that is looking for leaders. I'm telling you, lost is such a great description. Because not only are they lost in their sin, not only are they lost apart from Christ, but let me tell you, they're just wandering through life with no direction. People need a leader. Christian, God has left you and I here, yes, to share the gospel, but I believe also to lead. I'm telling you. But think about it. And I really start to feel sorry for them because the world, sometimes they don't even, you can present the facts to them, but they still don't even know how to make a decision when you put the facts out there. They're still like, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make me feel good. Well, it's not about your feeling. Look at the facts. And then he ends with, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Yes, I am saved. In God's eyes, I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ, but I know I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I know I still have a sin nature. So let's not compare ourselves with others, comparing ourselves among ourselves. But let's look to the standard that God has. Be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father which is in heaven is perfect, Jesus said. Haven't reached it yet, so I got work to do, don't I? And guess what? I'll be working on it till the day I die or the day the rapture happens. I won't reach it. I know that. But it doesn't mean I don't keep striving for it. 
because someday when that trumpet sounds and I put off this mortal body and put on immortality, then, then I will have put off this sinful nature and I will be stand before him as righteous as he sees me now. So wisdom is superior to riches. God has perfect wisdom. So don't try to live a life with the false humanistic wisdom, which is foolishness, but rather fear him and live a life with true wisdom, God's wisdom. Live a life that's following the principles of God's word. Let's not be like the little boy in the picture chasing soap bubbles. But let's follow after something that matters. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get to heaven and have somebody come up to you and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for participating in the, when your church decided to do a Christmas parade and being one to hand it out those tracts because you know what? I took that home and I kind of laughed at your church like, ha ha, but I sat down and I read that gospel tract and I realized my need for Jesus Christ and I got saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear when you get to heaven? Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear in heaven if you still pay your bills by check? First of all, get in the 21st century. But second of all, if you still pay your bills by check and you put a track in with the check when you mail it off, somebody has to open that, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful someday if some stranger comes up to you and says, you know what? I just found out that you're the one that put that track in that envelope and mailed it to me, and I got it, and I stuck it on my desk, and, you know, I got some really bad news that day, and I thought, well, maybe this will help, and I read it, and I realized my need for Christ, and I got saved that day. It won't happen if we're not doing it. Let's apply true wisdom.